it was Ethel's very first time to the World's Fair. In fact, it was her very first time to Chicago. In fact, it was her very first time out of the cornfields of Indiana. And she had lived a very long life. Her grandchildren had been prepping her for weeks now. Oh, Grandma, you're going to love the World's Fair. You're going to see some things that are going to blow your mind. Ethel didn't want her mind blown. You're going to see some things that are going to change the world. Ethel didn't want the world to change. You're going to see some things that are going to be fascinating. And Ethel didn't want to be fascinated. She tried to go with a positive outlook and optimistic spirit. But when she arrived in Chicago and saw the World's Fair for what it was, she was convinced nothing could impress her. After two days of looking around, being dragged from one booth to another, she finally sat down on the final day inside of the large hotel lobby where they were staying and waited to go home. That's when she saw something that truly did blow her mind. You see, Ethel had never seen an elevator before. And as she sat there, she watched an elderly man walking across the large hotel lobby. He was older for sure, slumped down, could barely walk, slowly walked over to a wall, and at the wall, stood there, pressed a button, the wall magically opened up. And the man walked from one large room into another small room. And as he did, the wall closed around him. And she thought, what is this? Suddenly, just a few moments later, the wall opened up again. And out came a tall, good-looking, muscular, blonde-haired, blue-eyed man strutting out of that room. And she thought, well, I've never seen that before. A few moments later, it happened again. This time, the, another older man, this time with a cane and completely bald, hobbled toward that door. She said, would it happen again? Could it happen again? He pressed the button. The doors opened up. He walked from the bigger room into the smaller room. The doors closed, and there she stood waiting. And this time, a man came out taller, darker, handsome, muscular, this time with dark hair and dark eyes. And she thought, I think I like this machine. <laughs> it was in that moment that Ethel's granddaughter came and found her. Grandmother, are you having a good time? She said, oh yes, dear, but I have one question. What is it, grandmother? Could you please go get your grandfather? I have a room I want to show him. <laughs> what if there was a room, a place that you could walk into, and when you walked out, you were completely changed? Changed in all the right ways, changed in all the right places. Not a different you, but you, just a better you. Would you like to know about that room? See, over the last few weeks, we've been telling you about the room. In sermon number one, we, we said in 2021, you don't have to be afraid. And in sermon number two, we explained why, because there's a secret place that you can enter from different ways. And in this secret place, you can dwell in the presence of the Almighty God. And in this third sermon, I want to share with you that when a Christian emerges from this secret place, they've been changed by the very presence of God himself. You see, the point of the sermon is to tell you, you don't have to change yourself in 2021 you just have to visit the secret place more often. Pastor, how will I change while in this secret place? 
Wouldn't it be amazing if you could visualize your own tombstone? You say, well, that sounds very morbid. I don't mean to be morbid. I mean, literally, those you leave behind are going to remember your legacy. What if on your tombstone it had wonderful character qualities mentioned about your life? Could you imagine if the tombstone said devoted father, wife? Could you imagine if the tombstone said joyful, happy? Could you imagine if the tombstone said confident, completely secure in who they were? Could you imagine if the tombstone said humble, not arrogant? Wouldn't that be something worth striving for? See, I want to share with you that when you spend time in the secret place, you don't have to seek out these character qualities. But once you emerge from the secret place, these qualities are already embedded in your soul. You see, when you spend time in the secret place, you will see yourself first. Number one, you will see yourself as temporal, therefore humble. Can you say those three words with me? Say them with me together. We'll say it together. Are you ready? Temporal, therefore humble. Say it again, say it again. Temporal, therefore humble. When I spend time in the secret place, I spend it with God, as was mentioned last week. And when I see God, I see myself as temporal, therefore humble. That's what David was expressing when he wrote the song, Psalm number eight, verses three and four. In Psalm number eight, David said this, as he spent time out in nature with God, in the middle of the nighttime, he looked up in the sky and he saw the stars and the moon, and he said, when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers and, and, and the moon and the stars which you have, which you have ordained, I think to myself, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Have you ever gone way out into the desert and looked up in the sky and realized how magnificent and large and beautiful the nature of the world and the universe is and thought how insignificant you must be? Have you ever seen a YouTube video or a documentary on television talking about the size of not only our solar system but the galaxy itself or the universe itself and said, how is this all so huge and earth so small and earth being so big, how am I being so small even on the radar of the God who created all of these things? Have you ever considered this? And that if God is so big, how is it that he would even... See me, do you have a problem with arrogance and pride like I do? I, I used to see, uh, I used to think of myself as a great public speaker. I, I like public speaking. It's part of what I do. Part of being a pastor is getting up and teaching publicly the word of God. And I used to think of myself as a great public speaker until I went to a very large conference where there were five to 10,000 people in attendance and the speaker got up to speak. His name was John Maxwell. And when he got up to speak, he was sitting in front of literally thousands of people. Now I've spoken publicly in front of literally dozens of people. He was speaking in 
front of literally thousands of people. And as he spoke, I was mesmerized by every word that fell from his lips. And I thought to myself, this is incredible. And then I broke for a moment and I looked around and I noticed every single person in the room was on the edge of their seats waiting for whatever John Maxwell had to say. And I thought to myself, I thought I was a great speaker until I was in the presence of a great speaker. The reason men and women are arrogant is because they don't spend time in the presence of true greatness. When you spend time in the presence of the eternal God who created all things, you can't help but just walk out of that room a little bit more humbled. See, it wasn't just David who knew this. David, David killed giants but it was Moses. You remember Moses, the man with the big gray beard who led the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land? He also wrote a song, a poem about this very matter, about God himself. In Psalm number 90, verses one and following, he says, Lord, through all the generations you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, before the beginning or from the beginning to the end, you are God. Listen to his words as he thinks about how big God is. Verse, th- verse three, you turn people back to death dust by saying, return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are like a passing day as brief as a few night hours. God, you sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like the grass of the springs of the morning. Men and women, humans, are like those that bloom and flourish, and by the evening it is dry and withered. Beautiful poetry that is stating this. God, when I think about how big you are, I'm reminded how small I am. It wasn't just David who knew this by spending time with God. It wasn't just Moses who knew this by spending time with God. It was also a man named James in the New Testament who was a pastor, just like I am, in the city of Jerusalem. And he said in James chapter four and verse 14, he said, for what is your life, Christian? What is your life but a vapor? A little steam that comes off of the pot on top of your stove. It appears for a moment and then poof, it's gone. Your life is just a fleeting vapor, and God is eternal, but for some reason, God loves you. Can I give you a tip for 2021? Don't try to be humble. No, no, really, don't try to be humble. If you try to be humble, what'll happen is you'll succeed a little bit, and then you'll be like, I'm humble, and then you lost it, because now you're prideful, you see? Don't try to be humble. Spend time with Jesus, and the more you spend time with Jesus, what'll happen is you'll see God for who he is, and that'll remind you of who you really are. And you'll naturally walk out of the secret place naturally more humble. That's it. See, when I say the secret place, as was brilliantly expressed by Pastor Caleb last week, 
The secret place is a lot of things. For some of you, it's a couch where you open up the Bible every morning. For some of you, it's a prayer time when you sit by your bed every day. For some of you, it's in your car as you listen to Christian radio on the way to work and back every single day. For some of you, for all of you, it's Sunday mornings when you sit in this place and you connect to God. When you are in the secret place, what naturally happens is you walk out different than what you were. First and foremost, when you spend time in the secret place, you change. It's part of the, part of the package. And what do you change into? Well, first you see yourself as temporal, therefore humble. Secondly, you see yourself as chosen, therefore devoted. Say that one with me. Chosen, therefore devoted. Say, what do you mean chosen, Pastor Josh? What do you mean devoted? Wouldn't you love to be called devoted? I was a devoted father. I was a devoted husband. I was a devoted pastor. Paul was devoted to Jesus Christ. And Paul understood the secret place as well. He talked about it extensively. And he says to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, <clears throat> he wanted them to understand who they were in Christ. And he says to them in verse 3, Blessed be the God of our Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. How many of you have been blessed by God? Have you been blessed by God? If you have, say amen. amen. We've all been blessed by God, and that's what he says. We've all been blessed by God. Verse 4, how has he blessed us? Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose you. He picked you. He picked you. God picked you. You know, there are 7 billion people in the world, and hear this. Out of all 7 billion people in the world today, he picked you to know about his salvation and to know how you could be saved. He picked you. Why? Out of all the billions of people who have ever lived, for some reason on this narrow path, God picked you to reveal the truth to. God picked you. Maybe you're not yet a Christian and you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, I've never been here before, I don't know much about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. God, out of all the billions of people in the world, has picked you to hear this message. He picked you. Now that may not mean a lot to someone like you, but it does mean a lot to someone like me. You say, why? Because I know what it's like not to get picked. How many of you remember schoolyard Schoolyard pick. How many of you remember schoolyard pick? You remember schoolyard pick, right? Yeah, you do. I know you do. I do. I remember it very, with not a lot of fondness. Let's just say it that way. Schoolyard pick is everybody wants to play uh, basketball, so everybody lines up. Everybody line up. We're going to play some basketball. Pick up basketball. And then they pick two captains, right? They always pick the same kind of captains. We're going to pick Ron, and we're going to pick Bobby. Bobby, you're a captain. Ron, you're a captain. Everybody else line up. 
and I line up. I always lined up. I was never a captain. Say, why wasn't I a captain? Because I am not great. Uh, But uh, it's okay because at least I get to be picked. And so they line you all up and Bobby is over there and Ron's over there and they're looking out and they're like, okay, Bobby, you pick first. And Bobby's like, okay, I'm gonna pick Travis. Travis, you're on my side. And Ron's like, okay, I'm gonna pick Fred. Fred's on my side. And there I am standing. I always strategically placed myself between the two smallest people possible. Bunch of 12-year-olds, I'm gonna stand beside the seven-year-old boy and the only girl bold enough to play with the boys. That's where I'm gonna stand because maybe I'll stand out, you know what I mean? And it would happen every single time. Bobby would pick again and Ron would pick again and the 12 kids would turn into four kids and I'm thinking, okay, okay, okay. My goal was never to get picked first. I knew that was out of my reach. My goal was just not to be picked last. That's it, just not last. Now, the way I worked this out was that I had spent not a lot of time playing basketball, but a lot of time relationship building with Ron and Bobby. (laughs) Spend weeks and years becoming friends with Bobby, and now I'm in the position where I'm standing beside the little girl and the little boy, and I'm looking in their eyes, I'm like, I'm your friend, man. I'm your friend, pick me. I don't care if we lose, this is not right. And they're like, I'll take the girl. I'll take the seven-year-old. Say, that's not nice, I know. Pick last. And then we read this passage, people like us. People who have been looked over when it comes to the promotion. People who have been looked over when it comes to the scholarship and the loan. People who have been looked past when it comes to not living up to the religious standards of your family or friends. And God says, oh, I picked you. You pick, you, you, you pick me? When did you pick me? Last? No, no, no. Son, I picked you before the foundation of the world. Before there was ever a tree or a river or a mountain, I looked through eternity and I saw you and I liked you and I loved you, and I picked you. There are a lot of Christians trying to be devoted. I don't try to be devoted anymore. I fail every time. Instead, I just spend time with Jesus and think about these things, and I walk out of the room naturally devoted. What did he pick you for? It goes on to explain. He chose us, us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What does holy and without blame mean? A lot of times people think of holy. And they're like, I gotta be holy. Okay, I'm gonna be holy. What does it mean to be holy? We have to dress in all white or all black and we have to walk around with our hands like this, holy, holy. And we have to live up on top of a mountain somewhere in a monastery. That's holy. No, holy just means that God picked you to be separate. God picked you to be different than everybody else. You say, I don't feel like everybody else. Perfect, perfect. You're, you're perfect, perfect for this. He picked you to be not like the rest of the, if you live in Corinth as a Christian, you're not a Corinthian, you're a Christian. Don't see yourself as them. He's saying to the Ephesians, I picked you not to be, uh, be, you're an Ephesian, but I picked you out of the Ephesians to be a Christian. You're no longer an Ephesian. 
You may live in Rome, but you're not a Roman. You're a Christian. You're different than them. You may live in Las Vegas, but you're not a Las Vegan. You're a Christian. You're different than... You may live in America, but you're not an American. You're different than them. They act one way. We act a different way. You're holy. You're separate. Not that we don't have things we love and things we're loyal to, but our primary loyalty is to be separate unto him. This is what it's stating. The Bible tells us this, what we're selected for. It goes on to tell us what we're picked for. Go, go look at what goes on. Having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Christ himself. What did he pick us for? Here's what he picked you for. He picked you because you were a lost orphan in this world and he wanted to adopt you into his family. God didn't just pick you to be his servant, he picked you to be his son. He wants you in his family. To the praise and the glory. Now you say, why did he do this? Why did he do this? According to the good pleasure of his will. Do you know why he picked you? Thousands of years ago, beyond the time, cast of time, before you were ever a glimmer in your parents' eye, you were a thought of God, and he reached out into eternity future and picked you. Why did he pick you? Because I'm so great? No. Because he wanted to. Chase, do you know why God picked you? Not because Chase is great. Leon, do you know why God picked you? Not because Leon is great. Sandy knows Leon is not great. Sandy knows. <laughs> if you don't know, ask Sandy. Sandy be like, he's not great. <laughs> Those of us who know Leon know you're not great. No. We're all surprised God picked you. <laughs> Do you know why God picked you? Not because you're great. God picked you because he's great. to the praise and the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the family. Now you're welcome in this family. Why? Because God picked you. You say, but I don't like that person. It doesn't matter. God picked them just like he picked you and they may not like you either. We're all part of the family now. That's how it works. I've, I've learning this. I'm learning this. I don't, I'm not arrived yet. Listen, it's not like I've understood it all, but I'm learning this. I don't have to try to be devoted in 2021. All I need to do, in fact, don't try to be devoted. Don't do it. Instead, just spend time with Jesus in the secret place and you'll see all that he's done for you and then you'll see who you are and you'll walk out being devoted because you understand. You understand what? That you've been chosen. So when I spend time in the secret place, I see myself as temporal, therefore humble. I see myself as chosen, therefore devoted. I see myself as realistic, Therefore, joyful. Realistic. See, come on, come on, okay, okay. Uh, Pastor Josh, I mean, you're a Christian. You can't be that much of a realistic person. I mean, you believe in the afterlife and angels and the God of heaven and eternity and all of these things. That doesn't sound like realistic to me. And that's because if it doesn't sound like the real world to you, it's because you're still plugged into the matrix. You believe that everything you see is the real world. I've been freed from that. You see, there are a lot of people that think there are only two sides. You're either an optimist or a pessimist. 
An optimist is somebody who sees everything as positive. The glass is half full. Everything is good. Always be positive. Only put out positive vibes, bro, right? The optimist. And then there's the pessimist. The glass is half empty. Everything is down. Everything is dour. Everything is low. I'm a pessimist. I see things as negative. And they're always negative. Those are always fun people to be around, aren't they? The optimist and the pessimist, you say, which are you, pastor? In my flesh, I have a tendency toward one of those. But when I walk with Christ, I'm neither one. I'm not an optimist or a pessimist. I'm a realist. I see the way the world really is. Only we can. Sound arrogant to you? We'll get to point four in a moment. It's confidence. I see the way the world really is. Paul was in prison. In prison. How many of you would like, don't raise your hand, to be in prison today? Good, don't raise your hand. Nobody wants to be in jail. Nobody wants to be in prison. But Paul, the apostle, he was a preacher like me. He was thrown in prison. Why was he thrown in prison? For being a preacher like me. Do you agree it's not nice to throw preachers in prison? Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you, a few of you. God bless you, all right. Paul was in prison for being a preacher, just being a preacher. And as he was in prison, he was trying to teach the Philippians to think differently. And he says in Philippians chapter three, verses one through three, finally, my brother, and rejoice in the Lord. Paul, what do you have to be joyful about? You're in prison. And Paul's whole point is to say, no, 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 no. I don't think you understand. I can have full joy where I'm at. Have you noticed there are a lot of people that seem to be free, but they're never happy? Have you ever noticed there's a lot of people that seem to have everything they want in life, but they're never filled with joy? Paul says, be joyful, rejoice in the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't see negative things. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. He's, he's um, referring to the enemies of Jesus and the enemies of Paul. He said, and the enemies of the church. He said, absolutely, there are enemies out there. But verse three, we are the people of God, so it's okay. Verse three, he said, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. He said, yes, we have enemies. How many of you believe? The church of Christ today has enemies. If you do, say amen. Yes, we have enemies, but from a realistic position, it doesn't matter. The people of God have always had enemies. We're still the people of God. So a realist position is, of course, we have enemies, but we're still the people of God. Now he continues in verse 17. Look at what he says in verse 17. The whole chapter, by the way, is amazing. Study it sometime. Verse 17 says, brethren, join me. I'm saying the same thing to you, my sisters and my brothers. Join me in following one specific path, in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. He's saying there are two paths you can walk, even as a Christian. One is Christ's path. Hear me, don't miss this. This is gonna change some of your worlds. Listen to me. Some of us, as Christians, can walk Christ's path, or some of us, as Christians, can walk and think the way of the world. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Some walk as if they were enemies of the cross of Christ. This pathway is for those who are the damned, and they walk a certain way. Don't walk that way. 
He describes the two paths. You want to see the two paths? The difference is all about joy. Look, he goes on in the next verse. He says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. This, this corrupt way, this way of the world, he describes it. He, he describes it in detail. Go ahead and look at it. The, first thing we, uh, the last thing we see, he says, they set their mind on earthly things. Those of the world only think about things of this temporary world. Therefore, they're never filled with joy, never. They're always thinking about my next car, my next girlfriend, my next house, my next paycheck. What's going on in Rome? What's going on with the principalities? What's going on with our government officials? What's going on in the realm of business? What's going on in the stock market? All they do is think about the world, and so they're never happy, never filled with joy. It goes on, and whose glory is their shame. Those who walk this path, they are the type who actually take pride in things they should be ashamed of. They take pride in their sin of sexuality, anti-God sexuality. They take pride in hurting those who are weak. They take pride in violence where God condemns it. They take pride. Why? Why are they never joyful? Because they don't walk the way of God. Whose God is their belly? The reason they're miserable is because they live for the God of whatever I can get for me. You'll never be happy there. Whose end is destruction. I don't know why it is a follower of Jesus would ever want to walk the way of the world. But there's another way. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, there's another way, and that is to realize, yeah, I, I like it here, but this is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Do you know why, do you know why Paul, in prison, could have joy because Paul's point is to say, hey, hey, y'all, hey, I'm realistic. I'm not the one in prison. Paul could be behind bars and have more joy than the other Christians because he was not the one imprisoned. How did Paul get to that place? Because even if you're behind bars, you can find the secret place. Say, that's it, Pastor, for 2021. My decision is to be joyful. No, don't try to be joyful. You'll fail. Don't try to be joyful. Spend time with Jesus in the secret place. You'll see him. You'll see the way the world really works. You'll become more realistic in your mind and not, a, not, not, not overwhelmed by the, the, the mirages of the world. And then you'll walk out realistic, therefore joyful. Number four, when I spend time in the secret place, number four, I remind myself that I am Christ's, therefore completely and utterly confident. If you knew Peter, before Peter knew Jesus? You may have thought that he was confident, but he wasn't. 
He was arrogant. And arrogance and confidence are often confused by those who don't know the difference. See, Peter before Jesus was a completely insecure man, always needing to prove himself, always needing to be the first one to speak up, always needing to be the one who puts his foot in his mouth and then defends why he put his foot there. He needed to bite off a toenail. Peter was extremely arrogant. You could study him all throughout the Gospels. And Peter, my goodness, he came across as trying to be confident but completely insecure. And then after Peter spends years with Jesus, he becomes truly, truly confident. And so, at the end of his life, he tries to teach these same principles to the younger Christians. And he writes about it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses, verses 9 and 10. He says to them, look, don't take pride in who you are as a person. Just realize that you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a special people. Not because of who you are, but because God is the one who chose you that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is the one who's pulled you out of your stupidity, out of your insanity, out of your way of darkness that was going nowhere and has pulled you into the light. God is the one who deserves that praise. Who once were not a people but are now a people. Who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. See, Peter's confidence in his latter portion of life had nothing to do with who he was. It had everything to do with the fact that he belonged to Christ. Not about who he was, but about whose he was. Do you know, do you know how I've built a little confidence in my life? Not because I look in the mirror and say, you're great. You're getting better and better every day. Oh, I like your blue eyes, Joshua. All of that just fades away the moment you walk out of the bathroom. But when you spend time with Jesus and he tells you who you are, you are mine. I feel safe. I feel confident. So confident I can fling myself into his arms at a moment's notice and know that he will never drop me. My son and I used to play a game called Catch Me Daddy. I taught him the game when he was two years old. Some of you grandparents are going to get really nervous at this moment. It's okay. Everything's going to be fine. He's all right. Two years old, I would put him up on the countertop in the kitchen, and I remember the first couple times I'd do it, he would walk up to the edge of it, and he would look down, and I'd say, okay, it's okay, buddy. Trust me. Jump to daddy, and daddy will catch you. And he would never jump. The first couple times he didn't jump, he just kind of kept edging toward the edge till he just fell. And I'd catch him up, you know what I mean? I'd be like, you did it! And he'd be like, aha, I did it! Really strong and excited. And then we'd do it a little bit more. After a while, he would get to the point where he'd just jump and throw himself into my arms. And every single time, I'd catch him and I'd hold on to him. The problem was, we played that for so long, by the time he was three and four years old, he would start playing the game when I didn't know we were playing the game. 
All I would hear is, catch me, daddy! Does this ever happen to you? Catch me! And I look around and there's a flying like squirrel, but it's not a squirrel. It's coming bigger and it's coming toward me and he's falling on me. And there have been moments where hiking, you know, and he's jumping off of trees and I'm grabbing him by the leg and I'm like, oh my word. And he's giggling, ah, laughing. 100% confident that I wouldn't drop him. Why? Because I had never dropped him up until that point. You understand how that game ends? It ends when the very first time the daddy drops the boy. <laughs> then the game is over. And the child has therapy. <laughs> I've been walking with my heavenly father now for decades. And there has never been a time that I flung myself into his arms that he has dropped me. How about you? How about you? Do you know why I'm 100% confident in my heavenly father? Because I can always yell out, catch me, daddy, and he can catch me. I'm failable. He's not. I'm temporal. He is eternal. I am weak. He is strong. My dear friend, don't try to have confidence this year. Spend time with God. See who he is. See who you are. And you'll walk out with confidence like never before. Okay, so 2021. Is it going to be a better year, Pastor? I have no idea if it's going to be a better year. What do I know about the stock market? Viruses, medical data, governments, protests and riots. I have no idea about any of these things. But I do know this. If you want to try it again and have a better year for you than ever before, begin every week at church and begin every day in the secret place and you will see the qualities that you desire in your life flowing through you no matter what happens in the rest of this world. That is completely, well, it's completely up to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my prayer is that you would help me not try to be confident joyful, devoted, humble, or a hundred other qualities of a Christian. I pray that I would just spend time with you this year, and in doing so, I would walk out changed, different, a completely new person, because I've been changed by you. These things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.